On this episode, I'm speaking with Thomas Herzog, principal of Good Neighbor Homes. Thomas leads the company through each of its multifamily developments, oversees property management, and interfaces directly with each of their advisory clients. He's served in multiple development and real estate consulting roles, while also overseeing over $250 million in real estate asset optimization. He believes leading with honesty, integrity, and earnestness are the keys to helping change the way people think about real estate development and property management. Without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Thomas. Thanks so much for joining me. It's a, it's a pleasure to jump in. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So um, if you've listened to Transforming Cities over the years, then you know that I, I love a good intro story, um, the early years, kind of where you came from, origin stories. I think they're really important for us all. So tell me a little bit about your early years and what this specific hometown was like that you grew up in, because it was pretty cool. <laughs> Um, it was really cool for me as an eight-year-old, for sure. Uh, uh, today, uh, as a 30-year-old, I'm not sure <laughs> the same cool factor, but um, I was born in a small town in central Minnesota, uh, Winstead, Minnesota. Uh, 2,000 people. Uh, you know, I graduated in high school with, I don't know, 97 people in my graduating class, so pretty small, mm. uh, small school. In fact, it actually took three separate towns for us to make up that high school class. Uh, um, Yeah. I mean, rural Minnesota, I grew up in town though. Uh, So I grew up, you know, just off of main street. Um, uh, You know, there was across the street, there was a park um, connected to a lake. Uh, A block away was kind of the classic downtown of Winstead. Uh, You know, the old city hall in it. Uh, you know, a couple bars, a bank, post office, you know, the, the kind of the classics for a, mm. a small, small town Main Street. Um, and would could pretty much, you know, walk or bike uh, anywhere I went as a kid, which was really great. Most of my friends lived uh, either in town or uh, just outside of town. So everything was bikeable. Um, and it wasn't until our, uh, you know, uh, our conversation that I realized that this was actually probably a really, um, uh, really instrumental and, uh, uh, you know, formative period for me in, in how I live my life today. Um, I, I live with many of the same features in my adult life in Minneapolis, um, yeah. still, walking, uh, still walking, still enjoying that, uh, the close connectivity of everything. Yeah, I was thinking about that too uh, when we were first having some intro conversations around this um, this story, this origin story, and and how so much of your work I felt like immediately tied back to this early experience and this this idea of Main Street, which is you know maybe a little bit of an overused phrase at this point in a, in the small scale development world, but um, certainly a theme that stands very true in terms of the 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 efforts and the thought process and the the lens with which many small developers see the world and and clearly it had a big impact on you um, as a kid growing up and now as a as a uh, young up and coming developer um, it matters and, and it and it made a big impact on you and I'm so I'm curious you know um, when you think back to being a kid and we're not that I'm I'm a little bit older than you I, I'm getting to that point now where I start to say that I'm a little bit older than you but as a kid I was I was similarly cruising around on a bike you know enjoying friends around the neighborhood. Um, my parents kind of said, Hey, like go out, have fun, go out for a few hours, come back for dinner. Did you have a really, really similar upbringing like that? Like, were you, 
um, out of the house at, you know, nine in the morning, coming back at five for dinner? Um, was it just kind of like a, a fun, small town, idyllic type of scenario for you? Uh, yes. In a lot of ways, I was, I was very much a free range kid. Uh, um, my parents, uh, <laughs> loved when we left the house and left them alone. Uh, yeah, I got a little break. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, you know, uh, with, uh, you know, a small town there, were, uh, in the early nineties and, um, a bit into, into the two thousands, there was, you know, uh, just total freedom, uh, whether it was, you know, biking to the basketball courts, uh, or a friend's house, um, skating or sledding in the winter. Um, yeah, they were pretty hands-off, um, you know, for better and for worse, you know, there's some things that they could have been more mm -hmm. hands-off about, but, um, but yeah, I, uh, I got to explore the world, um, pretty much once I could bike, uh, you know, outside, I, I could explore the world outside my own street, mm -hmm. um, on my own, which was, uh, yeah. yeah, really fun. And one of the things that you were reflecting on, um, when we were first speaking, um, tied back to actually some unique development that is now happening back in this town, um, years later. Um, and, and you mentioned there were actually a few different things happening, which is pretty cool because making that connection and thinking back and now, now <laughs> looking back at that main street, what are some of the developments that have popped up and, and, uh, you know, what has started to change the landscape of that? Of that town yeah yeah Winstead is um uh gosh i remember in high school uh winstead hired uh an outside consulting firm uh, i didn't know these this language at the time but there was someone hosting an event uh when i was in high school uh to do a master plan for the community um you know to think about our park system our trail network uh our community businesses um, you know, stuff that I live and breathe all day long today. Um, uh, but I remember being at that meeting and, um, you know, them talking about Main Street and the importance of the businesses there. Um, and then the importance of business out on the, the kind of the highway that ran through town on the other side. Um, and, you know, I think at that point, Winstead was still trying to uh, grow and, uh, you know, become a better version of itself. Um, and it's, yeah, now 10, 15 years later, um, had most of its downtown buildings, uh, receive reinvestment, um, uh, through a couple different eras of, of developers that have come in and, uh, built pizza shops and, uh, converted the old city hall to, a, a, a floral and coffee shop, florist and coffee shop. Mm. Um, there's some new apartments. Uh, that have been renovated on Main Street. So there's kind of the, you know, the classic first floor retail and then the second floor apartment above it. Um, uh, there's a arts council in Winstead now that kind of, that does, you know, summer programming, bringing artists to town and um, doing different events like that. They, they actually inspired me uh, and, and, and connected me with an artist to do a, a, a public mural of a, of a sunflower um, uh, on my childhood home. Uh, oh, cool. so yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of really cool things. Um, all small town, you know, nothing overly fancy, nothing out of context, just, you know, a good old fashioned reinvestment for another generation of, of, of business and, uh, uh, and service in Winston. Mm. 
Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll find our way back to that childhood home a little bit later in our conversation, yeah. uh, because there's some, some great narrative around there and, and, and some great learnings for you as well. Um, let's transition into your teenage years and, and kind of headed into college. Did, did you, did you know real estate was the thing back then? Or were you like so many of, of my guests who say had no, I had no idea headed in one direction, headed in another, ended up finding my way back, um, into real estate. So, so for you, um, what did you find yourself heading into in, in terms of studies? Yeah, I, uh, I left Winstead <clears throat> after uh, a good 18 years there, went to college, uh, University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, and just kind of immediately the doors get blown open with what's, uh, with what's happening in the rest of the world and all of the different, um, uh, you know, at that point we called them majors, but all of the different industries uh, that ultimately make up our, uh, our economy and our society. So it was... Um, like night and day, you know, I went, I was like, holy cow, there's, uh, there's ways to specialize in, in, in business. It's not just, you know, business, it's, it's accounting and marketing and sales and actuarial science. And, uh, and then there's all these, you know, subdisciplines within the sciences and, and within the arts. And, uh, so it was, I basically, uh, you know, uh, declared as a psychology major because I knew that coming out of high school was a, a key focus of mine mm. and has stayed that for, for a long time. But, but I sampled, you know, uh, anything and everything that I could from, uh, you know, intro to singing to um, intro to accounting to intro to religions and, you know, everything in between was just kind of um, trying to take it all in and, okay. uh, and, and understand uh, everything else that was out there. Are we going to be able to catch a few bars of that intro to singing course on this podcast or maybe, maybe for another episode, a part two. I, yeah, let's say that for part two. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You, you mentioned to me a, um, a course on, uh, around centered around urban geography, um, specifically and this, this came up because, <clears throat> um, you mentioned the, um, the water towers on top of buildings, like this kind of iconic, you know, water on top of a building, um, I, I wanted to say facade, but sort of silhouette that I think we've all become familiar with mm -hmm. over the years. If you've yeah. paid attention to, to building structures and architecture and things like that. Um, what was it about that experience in that urban geography, um, mm -hmm. class or that experience that maybe started to, you know, have a little bit of a switch flipped or a, or a corner mm -hmm. turned for you mm -hmm. when it came to real estate? Yeah, that was, um, uh, I think you're totally right. That was, uh, the first class that I took at university that had, uh, environmental sustainability focus to it. Um, but at the intersection of our built environments, like our buildings and our streets and our cities mm -hmm. and, um, the, the, the professor, uh, loved to talk about his own book, which was uh, a deep dive into the history of New York City and the the way that they got indoor plumbing to work uh, and filtered water to work in New York, which, you know, is, mm. is anchored by those giant uh, vats of water that you see sitting on top of so many, or you used to see sitting on top of so many buildings. Um, and so I think it's that class that uh, helped me 
kind of understand the uh, the what happens uh, or or the repercussions of the choices that I make with my life relative to uh, the climate that I live in, um, uh, and then also how important our buildings are in that equation of um, you know environmental sustainability. Mm. Um, not so much real estate yet uh, in that class, but it was certainly the first entree into this is how cities get built and why they're important. Yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that switch. Cause you had what you called kind of a click in your brain happen. Um, not too long after that. So, um, the way the story goes is, is you ended up moving to Duluth for six months or so, and then you continued on to Minneapolis to finish school at, uh, the U of M. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you said, when you had that experience at U of M, there was this click, like the switch had officially flipped and that corner was turned um, within that urban studies program at U of M. Why, what What was the, you know, you talked about kind of your eyes opening up and the world in mm-hmm. front of you when you first left home, but now you're at U of M um, in Minneapolis. What was the, what was the click? Yeah, the click was that urban planners uh, draft the plan for a city, uh, the roads, the sewers, um, the utilities, the rest of the utilities, uh, the buildings, how big they can be, what they, what, what uses they can be. Um, and then it's largely left to the development community to execute on that. Um, I mean, it, it's a, it's a huge swath of, uh, responsibility that is placed into the development community's hands is the city says, here's what we'd like. Mm. Um, you come to us and help us, you know, fulfill that, uh, that need. And that took a while for me to get to, um, because I, you know, that, that Eau Claire urban geography class really got me interested in cities and, and how they're built and why, and, and, and regional variations and, um, and the history of cities, like all of that is, it was incredibly fascinating. Um, and the university of Minnesota's program, uh, at the, uh, in the geography department, there, urban studies was really geared towards, um, the urban planning profession. So folks who go to work at the city or the County or go into kind of third party consulting, um, you know, engineering firms and, and, d- uh, design firms that, that help also build out these plans. Uh, in these projects for cities. Um, and I just, uh, you know, I took a couple classes, uh, you know, continue to be fascinated by it, but it never really felt like that was what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, and so it was kind of at the end of that uh, degree that I was like, I think, I think I actually want to go and do the work on the other side of this equation, uh, rather than be in the city and be drafting the plans. And so mm. that was the, the kind of like, oh, yeah, I should go do real estate. That should be, <laughs> that. that's what I want to do. Thanks for listening to this episode of Transforming Cities, brought to you by Authentic. Authentic delivers premier multifamily brand experiences and smart digital marketing. Our proven approach aims to accelerate leasing velocity, boost rental rates, and increase long-term value. Simply put, we see brand as a business asset. You can find out more at AuthenticFF.com. Um, and and so you graduated with a psychology degree in the end, which I think yep. is 
is appropriate because all of the work that you do and, and the, the way with which you look at the work that you do, it just makes sense that you have um, such a heightened sense of empathy for um, for your projects, for the, your communities, for the, the renters that you have. Um, so you went back, you, you kind of, you said, all right, I, I wrapped up this thing. And then you ended up going back to U of M, um, doing some real estate courses. And you told me that what was fun about it in, in a way that's different from, you know, when you're at like a actual, I'll say, a, a student who's like kind of still figuring it out is that you became so earnest and eager because you were there to absorb everything as much as possible, just like a sponge. I mean, you were, you said to me, you were, uh, sort of showing up and seeking a direct conduit, uh, to this community, this development community, as you were learning. And I think there was a great takeaway there that had to do with, um, those early connections that you made at the U of M and how important those are still to you today and how they've been in your career so far. Um, can you speak to some of those early experiences and some of those early connections that you made and, and why it was so pivotal for you in your career? Yeah. Yeah. It, um, so I was, uh, you know, I graduated college, um, uh, took the job or the internship that I had, uh, gotten in my senior year, transitioned that into a full-time job, which was, uh, being a coffee sales, uh, and marketing person, uh, for a small roaster here in the cities. Um, did that for a couple of years while I, you know, tried to figure out exactly how I was, you know, going to break my way into real estate. And, um, it's at that point where I go back and I take one more class at the U of M, uh, intro to urban real estate development, I think it was. And it was so, I, I just, I stuck out like a sore thumb. Uh, and I think the professor would tell you this today. Um, it, like I was, you know, I was the classic older person who had gone out into the workforce, realized how, mm. you know, shitty it could be out there. And it's like back to really learn about a very specific thing. And so, you know, I was sitting in the front of class, showing up early, raising my hand, asking questions, staying late, um, asking more questions like really trying to absorb everything that I could about this new industry that I was trying to make my way into. Um, and it's that, um, you know, that earnestness that really uh, uh, set me apart from the rest of my peers in that class, the other students that were taking the class who were, you know, the, the kind of classic 20 uh, year old uh, juniors and seniors. And even just after a few years, I, you know, and, and a lot of clarity, uh, I was, uh, you know, kind of, I stood out for how serious I was about wanting to make this a career path. Mm. Um, and it was actually that professor um, who, you know, uh, I don't know, 12 months, 15 months later, uh, helped me get uh, my second job within real estate, uh, which was such a pivotal, pivotal uh, uh, role for me to, yeah. uh, to join him at that company. But that's, that's incredible. Yeah. You, you have, um, really, you have a really great early career path story, which involves a joke, but it's true. It's you're slinging burritos and coffee over the course of a few years. And why I think this matters so much is because those years were impressionable for you, despite being very typical jobs, right? Tons of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people 
work in coffee, they work in burritos, you know, grocery stores, whatever. But um, there were very specific takeaways, both when you worked with Chipotle first in Duluth and then in this coffee experience that you had in Minneapolis that um, seemed to have a direct link to the work that you're doing today. Um, we don't need to go and deep dive into this, but like, what were the kind of the, the cliff notes of, of those experiences that you can recall? Yeah. Um, so Chipotle at the time was so pivotal in my, uh, like growth as, a um, uh, an employee and as a, as a manager, I, I kind of worked my way through their training program, um, and became a manager and then ultimately helped open up a brand new store in the new market. Um, but Chipotle at the time, and I, I haven't been at the organization for a really long time, so I can't speak to it today, but at the time had an, an incredible um, people culture. Uh, they, they thought of their employees as just fundamentally crucial to the success of the business um, because they were the, they were what was cooking the food, what was serving the food, and was the customer's primary interaction was with the employees. And so if, if you couldn't get that right, uh, you were never going to be able to grow and, and sell more burritos. Uh, so they had just uh, a, a really impressive uh, training model. Uh, they really love to promote from within and and train people to work up and and take over new stores and grow and worked really well with their business model, which was growing rapidly um, at the time. And so I think that really taught me a lot about um, how to value that kind of that most basic, you know, if you think about it in business terms, the most basic unit of your business is, is, is so crucial to get right. And it, if you don't get it right, how can you expect to, uh, mm -hmm. to grow? Um, yeah. So yeah, Chipotle and burritos were, uh, surprisingly influential on my career, uh, career path in real estate. Mm. And then, uh, coffee was, um, I want to say it was tiny footprint coffee. Is yep. that correct? Yeah. Um, you took a sales and marketing role and I had to ask you, what does that look like in the coffee world? Sales and marketing? Are you going door to door? Are you, you know, making t-shirts, doing cool swag? Um, but you kind of did a little bit of everything and it ended up being something that sounded like um, another impressionable interacting with people takeaway time period for you. Um, and this is also when that transition started to occur with a U of M real estate class. Um, what was it about coffee that you look back on fondly about at this point when you, when you kind of take a stroll down memory lane? Yeah. Yeah. I'll try and answer all of those, uh, all of those questions. Um, I mean, uh, the first question, you know, what does that even look like as a sales and marketing person? Um, this was a wholesale, uh, I should say primarily a wholesale coffee company. And so our primary customer was other coffee shops who did not roast their own beans, but needed beans roasted for them. And mm -hmm. so uh, lo a lot of the sales and marketing was directly to other coffee shop owners uh, that were either, you know, our current clients or uh, prospective clients. And so that's means we just spent a lot of time in coffee shops uh, talking to, you know, owners and baristas in individual shops, both from the most high end, um, uh, you know, fancy third wave coffee shops at the time, 
all the way down to your, you know, your run of the mill, uh, small town, main street coffee shop. Um, actually for a while, uh, uh, we sold to the coffee shop in Winstead. Um, oh, no way. Yeah. So, cool. um, so kind of, you know, the whole gamut of, of coffee shops, um, serving every customer, um, who wasn't driving through a caribou or a Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that was a big part of the role. And uh, I think at Tiny Footprint, it was the the pivotal things for me were both uh, f- uh, getting deeper into an understanding of environmental sustainability from a, uh, an agricultural perspective and, and kind of an international agricultural perspective, because coffee is, a, is an incredibly sensitive plant and grows in a very specific region. Um, that's why we don't see a lot of it grown here in the U.S. Uh, we just don't have the climate for it. Um, we don't have the altitude for it. Um, uh, so I, you know, in traveling to some countries of origin, um, uh, and not to mention the company itself, uh, the business model was to be carbon negative. Um, hence the name of tiny footprint coffee. Uh, so, Mm. uh, you know, so kind of, you know, deepened my understanding in, in environmental sustainability, uh, but then also watched, you know, a small collective of, uh, of hardworking people bust their ass to run a small business, um, like literally wearing every hat every day, mm. you know, accounting to training to sales, uh, to marketing, to roasting, uh, to cleaning at the end of the day, you know, they cleaned up the shop. Um, uh, and so I, you know, I got a firsthand look at, uh, what it means to be a small business owner and, and wear all the hats, um, mm. on any given day. Which is very important with what you're doing today. Um, so let's let's head in that direction. So you pivoted into real estate. I think this was around 2017, sort of officially and formally. And, and you had this opportunity to work with <laughs> a firm called Oladis um, in the Twin Cities area. What was that first opportunity like for you? What was your um, role in sort of the, the day-to-day, week-to-week at that point? Yeah. Um, uh, so that was again, born out of um, connections I'd made at the University of Minnesota in that urban real estate development class. Um, uh, you know, had an intro made to uh, the, the the president and then the director of government affairs at Alatus, um, who were kind of working on a special project to try and expand a single family housing initiative that they've been working on for the last few years um, in the city of Minneapolis. And I just, it was kind of this perfect intersection of the skill sets that I had gained um, as an undergraduate and my interest in getting into the field of, of real estate development. Um, so, you know, we were, um, we were trying to make the argument to the city that, uh, you know, building more single family homes on empty lots uh, was good on a, a wide array of facets of what makes a healthy city. Um, so we spent a lot of time uh, talking with council members and city staff, um, uh, other city leaders. Um, we even found ourselves uh, down at the Capitol doing some lobbying um, when it became time to pass the budget for the year. That sounds um, fun. So it was, yeah, it was a it was a very unique uh, first role in in real estate development, not a traditional uh, development associate role, uh, as as some might think of of the first entry point. Um, mm. But it was incredibly informative. I learned a lot. Um, I got to sit in, uh, sit in on a lot of uh, really important meetings that 
taught me a lot about how the business worked. Um, mm. I'm so grateful for that opportunity. Yeah. And that, that experience dovetailed into um, a company called Grow, which I believe you spent about four years with. Um, yeah. And it seems like this was the phase where things really took off for you, got your feet wet, so to speak, and were, you know, were, got your hands in the, in the dirt. Um, so, uh, I want to say grow dev is the official full name. I know mm -hmm. that we've been throwing around the term grow, but, um, uh, this also linked back to, uh, old professors and, and connections and not, you know, this, this lesson I hear over and over with guests is, is, is not burning bridges and <clears throat> staying in contact and, in, in helping out when you can. And, um, there's just so many of these in your story that I think are great to shine a light on that. So this job came to you by way of an old professor. How did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the, um, you know, the same story I told earlier about, um, uh, being in that class and just sticking out like a sore thumb for being so damn serious about wanting to learn uh, about <laughs> real estate. Um, uh, so at, uh, the professor had transitioned roles, uh, into, into grow and, uh, was looking for, uh, his number two to help uh, build out uh, uh, the real estate department at Grow, which was originally an architecture uh, company, but had expanded to include both interior design and uh, real estate development work. Okay. And so uh, him and I spent four years um, uh, looking at thousands of buildings, uh, hundreds of portfolios of buildings. So we would, uh, we largely worked with large nonprofits um, anywhere in the U.S. Um, and we would really help them uh, assess, uh, analyze, and then optimize their real estate portfolios. We take them through a whole uh, structured process um, to help, help them understand where they were today with their real estate portfolio um, and, and truly how much more there was to get from those uh, what they thought of as often just facilities or buildings, um, but were in reality mm. also real estate assets to be mm. uh, leveraged and harnessed. Um, and so I, I, you know, it was kind of a whirlwind of a job. Um, we were in, you know, uh, the biggest cities, uh, San Francisco, New York, to the smallest little towns in Western Pennsylvania. Um, and, you know, as you, as you start to look at all of these communities uh, and you spend so much time in them, uh, you know, studying them, learning about them, uh, you start to realize that there's so many similarities between our cities all over the country. You know, basically we've just been disseminating ideas about how to, how to build and, and grow and change. Um, it's kind of all over the country. It just kind of naturally grows and spreads. Uh, and so it, it was fascinating to see that uh, all of these patterns and these building types just kind of repeated all over the country in, you know, different climate zones and with different terrain and different cultures, but with still so just the tried and true um, development patterns that, uh, that were consistent across America. It was really mm -hmm. remarkable. Yeah. I, I'm curious to, to hear how that that experience has impacted the work that you're now doing at Good Neighbor Homes. So let's pivot to your company, Good Neighbor Homes. Um, that began, I call it sort of simmering for you in 2020. 
what was the impetus for the change for you? Why did you say, you know what, I think I want to kind of spread my wings and, and try to do something on my own? Yeah. Um, so it was, you know, it was kind of always a goal of mine to, to, to be able to do this stuff on my own, um, kind of be my own boss and, um, you know, at the time just set my own schedule. I mean, <laughs> for, um, on the, on the simplest level. Um, but in, uh, uh, just before 2020, uh, my father passed away, um, unfortunately, and, um, that left my sister and I with, uh, our childhood home. Uh, we both inherited that and neither of us lived in Winstead, uh, at this time she was out in California. I was here in the, in Minneapolis and, um, you know, after, uh, a few years of, of, of learning and planning and um, just kind of, you know, uh, getting my feet wet in real estate, I kind of just, you know, get tossed into the deep end with my first house. Um, it was, you know, a single house, mm -hmm. and nothing crazy. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it, it came out of some, you know, really unfortunate circumstances. Um, uh, but, you know, I was fortunate enough to have my uh, sister trust me to uh, lead a, a, a little renovation of the house, get it back into its uh, kind of former glory days, as we would describe it, uh, refinish all the hardwood floors and uh, get a fresh paint coat of paint on things and, and redo the kitchen and, and one of the bathrooms. And um, uh, that worked out really well, uh, both uh, for me getting more experience, um, but also me processing the death of of my father, uh, it was very mm. therapeutic to uh, be in my childhood home and to be, you know, demoing walls and <laughs> bathroom surrounds. Mm. Um, so, um, so we, you know, we renovate that and rent that out and ultimately um, uh, sell that a couple of years later. Uh, but that was kind of my, you know, uh, all right, it's time. Let's, uh, mm -hmm. you know, here's your first project. Um, yeah. And, and you told me that, that, that is a beautiful story, by the way, I don't think I've, I mentioned that to you before, but I have to imagine that the experience of working your way through this home that you lived in for almost 20 years was, um, was all the things like all the, all the emotions, um, that you could imagine. Yeah. You mentioned to me that you, you took a lot of that knowledge and experience from that first project, uh, that was sort of by your hands and you, um, you said you aim to put, put your money where your mouth was in terms of racial, racial equity, because racial justice and gentrification, these are all topics that you have been thinking about simmering on learning about in school and certainly seen in, in and around Minneapolis, which you had, uh, since moved to, where does that fit into the thesis or the narrative of good neighbor homes? And how has that been a, uh, North star? Mm -hmm. so to speak for the company. Yeah. yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, so, uh, we sold that, uh, sold the childhood home and, uh, took the proceeds from that and, uh, uh, ultimately found myself in a partnership with the Fallwell neighborhood organization. Um, uh, in the city of Minneapolis, there are hundreds of neighborhood organizations that kind of oversee a, a small geography within the city and Fallwell was one of them. And, um, you know, there was, 
kind of at this time and still today that there, there was this narrative that, um, you know, white people in a space is inherently uh, bad or, or inherently gentrifying to a neighborhood. And um, I had moved to North Minneapolis a few years prior uh, to this, you know, kind of project happening. Um, and I just started showing up to, to kind of experience that firsthand and, and, and learn about it and, and immerse myself um, uh, in a, in a, you know, in a new part of the city that I'd never lived in. Um, so I started to volunteer and, uh, and, and work for other organizations. Um, I, you know, got to know my neighbors. Um, I built relationships, right. With people that I'd never met living on, you know, the South side of Minneapolis in the, in the years that I'd been in, in the city, mm. I was a whole different community. And, um, a lot of these turned into, uh, friendships that I still have today. Um, and kind of over the course of those three years, you know, the North side really started to feel like, uh, feel like home. And um, it was, you know, kind of the intersection again of, of relationships that I had built uh, with people who were doing similar work, uh, you know, the Fallwell Neighborhood Organization. They wanted to purchase this neighborhood corner store building that had been occupied since the 90s by, uh, you know, uh, bless her heart, a uh, sweet elderly woman who was just... Uh, living upstairs in one of the two apartments up there and uh, wasn't doing anything with the commercial space. You know, it just was mm. vacant. Um, and so, um, you know, that building became, came up for sale and sat on the market for months. Um, uh, Falwell tried to figure out how to buy it. And ultimately the organization was um, not in a position to make that happen. Uh, but they were in a position to uh, become a tenant uh, and kind of be an anchor for that building um, and really just to reserve it so that they could do the community work of uh, finding a local entrepreneur uh, from the neighborhood or from the north side generally to start a business in this first floor space. And so I took the proceeds of the sale of my childhood home, bought this building, uh, invested heavily in it, um, uh, renovated both apartments upstairs, um, turned the commercial space downstairs into basically a, you know, a, a gray shell, just a white shell. Someone can move into it, make it their own immediately um, for the neighborhood to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, that was a three year long project uh, that ultimately uh, ended up in us finding in Falwell, finding uh, uh, Markella Smith, who opened up the dream shop which is a, a mm. gift shop on the north side full of a bunch of art, uh, knickknacks, um, all the classic stuff you think about in a little gift shop. Um, but it was all prioritizing uh, north side vendors, uh, people of color, um, uh, giving them kind of a space to sell their their products, you know, a physical store that many of them didn't have. Um, yeah. So really cool, uh, cool project. Uh, also taught me an immense amount, um, uh, but was, uh, was so gratifying at the end. Um, I say the end, which is, is uh, sad to say, but, um, I sold the building to my first tenant. Um, mm. so she bought the building, another, uh, a black entrepreneur bought the building from me last fall and now is the owner of a, of a newly renovated, uh, corner store building with she'll ultimately move her business into, I think, uh, in the long term. Mm. So it's really, really full cycle on that one. 
Yeah, no, that's a really, really cool story. And, and I think it, um, it touches on a couple different things, both the development piece and then this unique approach that I would say that you now take to management and managing people and managing tenants and, and finding the right balance of tenants as well. Um, so let's hop over onto that parallel path briefly and talk mm -hmm. about that unique perspective that you have now brought into managing, uh, the management side of properties and without putting words in your mouth, what would you say that unique approach is with good neighbor homes? Yeah. Yeah. We, um, so we, we do do things a little differently. Um, we approach, uh, management, uh, property management from, uh, I think a much more holistic perspective, um, kind of accounting for more than, uh, just simply dollars. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's an approach that is, you know, based in our years of experience doing this, uh, and, you know, the industry best practices, which are, I mean, a given at this point, but it's also, um, it's kind of grounding ourselves in that human behavior and the human psychology, you know, the why and the how of what people do. Um, and so kind of fundamental to that is, uh, we think when people are cared for, uh, and when they understand, uh, your position, you know, as the property manager or as the owner, um, they're a much more thoughtful, uh, reasonable and rational person. Um, uh, you know, if, <laughs> I was thinking of this anecdote earlier, if, um, if you've ever been in, uh, you know, uh, therapy, either solo or in a couples therapy session, uh, you've undoubtedly had these conversations with your partner about how to be more, uh, thoughtful about, you know, what makes them tick and what mm. makes them, uh, happy or upset, um, you know, kind of working through those things uh, that you do in a, in your close relationships. Um, we take a similar approach with, with property management. Um, and this, this for us means that we, uh, oftentimes find ourselves in a more harmonious relationship, you know, one that is mutually beneficial, uh, to us both, uh, the manager and the, the resident. Um, you know, we don't take the typical kind of authoritarian approach, uh, to management where you're, you know, you're making demands and you're laying down the law and, and you're not interested in the tenant's perspective, you know, cause you, you have your lease and you have your rules and, you know, mm. gosh, darn it, you need to follow them without, you know, without a uh, question, um, which are all important, no doubt. Uh, but we start with the tenant's perspective, um, upfront and try and incorporate that into everything that we do. Um, and yeah. I know that sounds like a really strange approach, uh, for a property management company that you typically think of as someone who's responsible for the building, um, or for a real estate asset. Um, and we start by taking care of our residents first, our neighbors, mm -hmm. uh, they are the foundational element of a successful real estate business. Um, and you know, we believe if you can't get that right, you can't do right by your tenants. You're, you're, you're always going to be playing catch up. You're always going to be trying to come back from something. And, and, um, it's, you know, uh, a quote I, I think is overly used sometimes, but is, is just captures it so well is the old Paul Wellstone quote, right. Of we all do better when we all do better. Mm. Um, I love a good quote. <laughs> So yeah, it's so uh, true. Yeah, so it, true. 
is really simple. Um, uh, it's really basic uh, in a lot of ways, but it is uh, in, in so many other ways counter to how much of the property management narrative works. Um, uh, you know, and we think that it's, it's, it starts with us as a property management company, as individual employees, right? Like we also have to be good neighbors. Um, uh, and we expect of our residents, you know, from the very first interaction, uh, you know, that they adhere to, you know, what it is to be a good neighbor. Um, and then, you know, over the course of, you know, an entire building or, um, uh, or community, it, it becomes a, 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 you know, it kind of rises up to the collective um, so that everyone is kind of feeling and, and taking the same approach to, um, to the place that they live. Um, uh, ideally, long-term in uh, kind of a, uh, if I'm thinking optimistically about the future, our, you know, the goal is to, is to kind of um, impart that wisdom and that approach on the overall property management industry and to, to see entire neighborhoods made up of people that care about the place they live, that care about the people that live around them and um, you know, we, we, that we have entire neighborhoods filled with good neighbors. Um, yeah. so we really do think that we can, uh, change the way people think about and live and manage properties. I mean, that was, that was the big takeaway that I had there. What, what you just sort of touched on is, is just the way it's done today versus the way it could be done in the future. You know, you look at, gosh, I have to imagine that so many communities and property management companies <laughs> just, just go over to the Google reviews really quickly and you'll see how there is this sort of built-in tension between uh, mm -hmm. a renter and sort of the management that you you um, you spoke of that that dynamic a few minutes ago, and I have to imagine there are better ways to do it, and certainly there are challenges to do that at scale. But I think um, that's a really great way to to approach it. Obviously, it fits so perfectly in with what good neighbor homes means and what it has become as you've started to build it out over the last few years. And speaking of building things out, you have a, a couple of projects in the works and, and um, obviously right now we're, uh, as we're recording this, this is mid 2023. And so the real estate market is in a little bit of a unique uh, uh, cyclical position, I'll say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But tell us about the projects that you're working on, what's coming <clears throat> up um, and sort of how these, uh, you know, management and development mindsets will merge together in the future. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so Good Neighbor Homes has uh, uh, three good projects uh, that are underway, um, a few more in the works, but um, our smallest is just a four unit building, you know, on a single single city of Minneapolis lot. Um, uh, that's also in North Minneapolis, um, where I, the, the previous project that I spoke about uh, with the retail space uh, was, uh, was centered. Um, it's in the Falwell neighborhood, um, and it's really a, a kind of a beautiful trifecta in tackling uh, some of the biggest, you know, uh, urban challenges that we have today. Um, I kind of joke sometimes it's it's a, it's a really small project with really big goals, um, and so it's the the kind of the three things uh, the the three focuses of that project are. It's going to be net zero ready. Uh, so it will produce all the electricity that it needs to heat and cool and keep the lights on, um, on the roof, uh, 
all of the electricity can be produced on the roof that will power the house uh, year round. Uh, actually, right now we're uh, uh, we're in talks with a solar shingle provider. Um, I'm sure we've all seen examples of that. Um, we have one here locally, and we're hoping to incorporate that uh, model, their, that new product, into the development right from the get-go, so that we can say it's it's not just net zero ready, but it is in fact net zero because um, it will be producing electricity on day one. Interesting. Um, yes, yeah, really, uh, really fascinating approach. Um, uh, it's also going to be affordable. Uh, so for those in the development world, it'll be uh, uh, rent restricted at 50% AMI. Uh, so it'll help contribute towards that affordable housing stock that's in the neighborhood already. And then third, it's, um, it's designed to be a live work project. Uh, so um, that idea really came from the work that we did next door uh, in that corner store building, realizing that so many of the entrepreneurs in this community aren't ready for a full-blown 2,000 square foot commercial space with uh, $6,000 a month rent. And that's, that's a little you know excessive, but what they really need sure. is, a, is a much smaller space uh, with much lower uh, barriers to entry um, that they can, you know, get started in, uh, iterate on, test, fail, test, fail mm -hmm. uh, in, in a space that's, you know, both their house and their, their, you know, their job. Um, they're not paying two, two monthly payments. Um, they, they have the flexibility to kind of, to grow and learn and make mistakes like that you do as a, uh, yeah. as a new business. I love that. Um, that, that piece right there seems so important for, uh, small businesses and to give the opportunity to small businesses to thrive and find a, a place and a space to thrive. That is not that gargantuan, you know, commercial lease, triple net, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, lock, lock, lock it in for 10 years. Um, I was having a conversation with the group, um, over at Maristem in, Texas and they have that the community called Indigo very large master planned but also very thoughtful when it comes to commercial spaces and they were speaking to something very similar to what you were planning with this project and that is commercial spaces that are um, half or less of what they normally are so the the barrier to entry is much lower which encourages uh, diversity and business um, encourages a thriving small business and I just think it's it's a uh, it's a great way forward. It's a great yeah. way forward. Yeah. So that's a that's a really sweet project. Um, we're in the uh, uh, kind of city entitlements phase with that one at the moment. Um, our next is uh, uh, a, a market rate apartment building in the Linden Hills neighborhood, which is in southwest Minneapolis. Um, this one is, you know, subject to all the same, uh, you know, uh, struggles of most apartment buildings today is it's really difficult to finance it. Um, so this one's probably just going to be put on a shelf for a couple of years. You know, we'll hold the land and, and wait until the economy's back on, uh, back on the upswing and, and banks are, you know, feeling good about lending again. And, um, mm -hmm. hopefully construction prices have, have stabilized or, uh, maybe even come down if we're lucky. Um, but this will be another, uh, or this will be a great infill project. You know, it's three single family lots today um, that we think we can pretty easily fit uh, 30 to 40 new homes on. Um, 
in a really nice neighborhood uh, with a lot of great amenities, uh, great outdoor spaces next to the lakes in Minneapolis. Um, so really excited to see this one um, uh, fully get off the ground. Um, but it'll it'll probably be a year or two before we're there. Um, and then in the meantime, uh, you know, in addition to that four unit building in the Fallwell neighborhood, uh, uh, we've are working through some community engagement right now in the suburb of Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, which is to the northwest of Minneapolis. Um, uh, we were selected uh, uh, myself and uh, Damaris Hollingsworth and one other developer were selected to uh, uh, redevelop a parking lot, you know, seven acre, literally a seven acre parking lot that used to serve mm. as a, a park and ride stop for Metro Transit, the bus system here. And so we've got um, we've got some work ahead of us, no doubt. But um, the the current model is uh, it's a mix of retail and and housing, uh, and both for rent and for sale housing. So we'll have some townhomes um, that will sell, you know, uh, fee simple, uh, and then. Uh, some apartments that will rent uh, just like normal. Some that will be affordable. Some will be market rate. Um, and then uh, the whole team that we've put together for that is is really wonderful. And uh, we've got some really good urban designers that um, that are up and coming and that are I think are really going to create uh, an impressive space and place that um, the folks who live there will cherish for a really long time. Yeah. yeah. That's 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 terrific. And and I want to ask this before we wrap up. Um, as it pertains to projects like the Brooklyn Park project, as you look ahead um, in the coming years of both, you know, development need, societal changes, um, racial equality, um, need for diversity. I mean, we were already talking about sort of the smaller commercial spaces and sort of a, adaptive development projects that think about these things ahead of time. Mm -hmm. um, what is your personal hope for? development or housing and, and how are you thinking about progress? Like what is, what is progress to Thomas and, and to good neighbor homes? That's a really good question. Um, you know, I think that the first one that comes to my mind is my God, do I hope that the inflation reduction act, the IRA, actually materializes and incentivizes developers like myself um, to build energy efficient buildings. Um, I know that, you know, the, the name is a little bit of a misnomer, um, but there was a lot of really good policy in that bill um, passed at the federal level. So it's going to take some time for it to work its way down. But um, over the last several, several years with the rise in construction costs, it's really squeezed a lot of developments to take, uh, you know, take a lot of, uh, I would call them shortcuts on energy efficiency. Um, I think mm -hmm. it's, it's the increased costs have put a lot of pressure on um, pushing the envelope for more efficient buildings. Um, and so I hope that uh, the IRA can make a real dent um, at getting a, and, and get us back on a path towards buildings that are um, maybe one day actually, you know, regenerative uh, for the environment rather than um, uh, purely just a, you know, a, a, another burden. So that's probably my first one. Um, and if anyone, uh, you know, has seen New Apartments Go Up lately, uh, 
or rather I should say, if anyone's ever stayed in a hotel, you'll know that the unit that heats a hotel uh, room uh, is now getting rolled out into apartment buildings, um, the PTAC. Uh, and that is, I think, one of the best examples of kind of work, uh, going backwards uh, in, uh, in environmental sustainability or energy efficiency. Um, but uh, Chris, probably this, I don't know, a second one would, and I'll shut up after this, but it, I think it would have to be that um, uh, that the elected officials that we have uh, can really uh, get their heads around uh, the urgency and the importance of of a housing first approach uh, to public health. I think we have an incredible gap in uh, in what uh, really solid long term research says is is fundamental to someone's stability um, and what we're doing today about the affordable housing crisis. Um, so you know. Uh, I think for our neighbors that make the lowest income, uh, they face incredible, incredible difficulties just meeting basic needs. Um, it's something that you and I probably don't even think about on a daily basis, but it's literally, you know, catastrophic to their lives. Um, so we need more housing for people with 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 very little or no money, um, and I think that would go a really long way in alleviating so many of the other issues that people experience um, um they just had stable housing um, yeah yeah no those are those are two massive points to make and i'm i'm also cautiously optimistic and and i want to stay encouraged that there will be um more lanes for that type of work to be done in the future rather than fewer lanes right and i yeah. think that's the that's the main thing is me too. Op opening up the opportunity versus taking it away. Yeah. Well, Thomas, it's, it's been so good talking with you and hearing your story so far. I always like to finish with a couple of rapid fire questions just to get the, sure. get the listeners and viewers, uh, Googling and checking out some other resources. So, yeah. um, for you, number one is what do you find, what have you found as being the most thoughtful project that you've seen in the last year or so from a development point of view? That's not, I always have to say, no, not one of your own or not one of your own in, in the making. <laughs> um, yeah, I think there are so many people doing much better work than I am out there. It's, uh, it's so humbling. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe not the most thoughtful uh, but I think my favorite project that I think is really pushing a lot of uh, new ground in development is the cul-de-sac development in Tempe, Arizona. Um, it's a, it's a, a, a big site. It's a full, you know, kind of master plan redevelopment. Um, but it, it kind of throws out the, out the window, all of your typical norms, uh, when thinking about a master plan, new community. I mean, it is, very dense for an American scale, I should say. It's it's a it's a totally reasonable density for people. Um, it'll it'll be a great community. The buildings are organized in uh, you know anything but uh, straight and right angles. You know it is mm. the buildings are curved and the courtyards are made up of strange shapes and um, it just I think it's going to be a really lovely uh, community that. Um, I think the development team is is already 
you know, planning another one in the suburbs of Atlanta. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited about the cul-de-sac development and the cul-de-sac team, uh, cool. and what, they're, what they're doing. Yeah, I'll definitely, um, uh, make sure that we have that link in the show notes for this episode to, to, to take a look at that. I think I've heard, I think I've heard of that in recent years, but I ha honestly have not been back to look at it in a bit. So, so thank you for that. Um, that nod to cul-de-sac. Um, all right. So one book bit, always a big question, always hard to pick hmm. one, but for you right now, what would that, that book be? Um, one book, I think it would have to be, um, the architecture of happiness, uh, is what I would, is what I would recommend. It's a Alanda Baton, who's a, uh, very intelligent, um, you know, uh, forgive me, but I think he's a, a psychologist uh, by training. Um, but his, uh, uh, his book is, it's, it's kind of rooted in, uh, human psychology and happiness. Uh, but also, at kind of the intersection of our built environment and what about our cities and our places and our homes um, truly make us the happiest. Uh, mm. It's a really, it's a really fascinating book in, I would put it in kind of the urban geography category. It's not your typical developer book uh, by any means, but I love it. It's a really great read. Some of my favorite recommendations are non real estate, non development books. So that's great. Definitely. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll link that as well. Um, well, here we are. We're at the end, Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me today. There's there's really only one more thing for me to do, and that is to roll out the red carpet for you. Tell the listeners and the viewers uh, where they can find you, what you're up to these days, and how they can follow up. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, Chris, it's been uh, really wonderful uh, to chat with you. I appreciate the work that you do with the Transforming Cities podcast. Um, it's, it's important work, and I hope you keep doing it for a long time. Um, but... Uh, Good Neighbor Homes is uh, still working on their website. Uh, so uh, eventually you'll find us at uh, Good Neighbor Homes, Good And we'll, I think, put that in the show notes as well. But um, uh, I'd love to, you know, connect with anyone who's listening and, and wants to chat more. Um, I would say come over to LinkedIn and send me a, uh, a message or, or find Good Neighbor Homes on LinkedIn and send us a message. And, um, I'd uh, love to connect with, with like-minded folks. Awesome. We'll, uh, we'll have all these links in the show notes. So uh, definitely feel free to reach out to Thomas, chat more about what we've talked about today. And um, she'll be sure it would be a great conversation to connect. So Thomas, once again, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me. It's been great. Thanks, Chris.